Welcome to H2 Hour. What up, y'all? It's Darbs. What's up? I'm Wu. We are civil engineers. Well, you're, I guess you're an environmental, environmental, environmental engineer, but... Basically you know, civil. Basically civil, but with extra Should've stuff. Should have been a civil. With the sugar on top. All right. Not a little chemistry and yeah. biology yeah. thrown in there. Um, so, I would say that um, we're excited to start something uh, new and different for ourselves, but for the company as well. We kind of have a backing with the company, uh, All Our Engineering, uh, which is where we met. Shout out to OEI. <laughs> which is where we met. And so, um, you know, everybody's doing podcasts nowadays. So let's just jump on the bandwagon and go with it, right? Right. Uh, so do you want to start out and, and maybe talk a little bit about your background sure. and um, where you're from and... Uh, what you're doing what you're doing in engineering yeah okay well um like i said i'm darby i am from corpus christi texas so i am a south texas girl i am a third generation red raider alumni so i graduated with both my bachelor's and my master's in environmental engineering which is my background at texas tech at texas if tech you don't know what a red raider is rackham but when I was at Texas Tech, I did a lot of volunteering stuff. I was the president of Chi Epsilon, which is the um, civil engineering department honor society. And yeah, so my background's environmental. I picked environmental because when I was in high school, there was like an environmental science class and I thought that was really cool. And you know, that was kind of interesting to me. And I was a little bit of a hippy dippy starting towards the Dippy. I've gotten more hippy dippy <laughs> actually, but starting my senior year, I, I was getting a little hippy dippy and very into you know water resources, renewable energy, green technology. Um, my parents actually wanted me to be an agricultural engineer. I was just like, what do you? Not your personality. Yeah, I'm like, what yeah. do I do with that? So um, I think you like, isn't it like seeds, making seeds think, and things like that? I think so. Actually, we have the internet. Yes, We're gonna Google yes, agricultural. Let's pull it up and see what that actually is. And I don't know if that's sad that we don't know that, but I would I would assume it would be something to the effect of of you know seeds and things like that. Yeah. So it's concerned with the design, construction, and improvement of farming equipment and machinery. Oh machinery okay. so well, there you go. basically mechanical engineering but with some biology and yeah, food um, science food science yeah. in there yeah. interesting hmm. um and then my dad's a master electrician so he wanted me to do electrical engineering and to you electrical engineers out there you are way smarter than me shut on mr adams yeah there is no way i could do that so i looked at a bunch of different jobs um and environmental engineering sounded cool and fun and so i was like let's do it and texas tech has a master's program in it they are one of the few uh, public colleges in texas that have an environmental engineering program and ABED accredited ABED, yeah ABED yeah, accredited yeah. um environmental engineering program so shout out to tech yep so that's me um when i was in college though my big thing was wastewater i like wastewater which no one likes so i guess i'm the weirdo um but yeah Cool. That's my background. Yeah. So lots of lots of hippy dippy. Lots of hippy dippy. So you had a lot more of the the chemistry, which I was not a big fan of the the chemistry side of things. I can I can appreciate it definitely, um, and I wish I was better at it, but I but I wasn't. So I kind of took a different route. I actually was um, accepted to the environmental program um, at Texas Tech. That's how I went to Texas Tech. Um, but I switched very quickly <laughs> to just uh, a regular civil engineering because just I just didn't it. 
for me it was it was it just didn't it didn't connect with me it wasn't i wasn't there i like the biology but not to the point of where they were with that too so anyway so i did more traditional civil um i was an older student when i went to tech so i graduate i actually graduated um in 2000 high school in 2000 and uh, kind of took some time off um you know uh born in houston but pretty much raised in in west texas in lubbock and um spent some time in dallas spent some time in austin uh which is really where my heart is for uh in texas but and i know a lot of people are like uh you know austin whatever so um but i like austin i uh, i have a lot of friends there and, and it was a cool time for me but i came back home to finish school at tech and um and do civil and um i was in you know, Alpha Omega Epsilon, which is the women's uh, engineering sorority. It's professional or a, a, a educational sorority. Is I think that, it's what like an academic sorority. Academic sorority. Academic sorority. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a, it, was, it definitely wasn't a social sorority. Um, lots of, of really smart women in there. And that's where I met a lot of uh, really cool chicks that uh, we hung out in, in school. And um, I still keep in touch with today. And hopefully um, they will listen. Or, so, um Anyway, so my background, uh, you know, is more of a, I, I like the, I guess, not so technical part of engineering, and I like more of the uh, the business, the relationships, the kind of the overall planning design of, of systems, uh, but my heart really lies in the water resources engineering, so water, wastewater as well, uh, primarily water, I really like the water side of stuff, so. The yin to the yin. Yeah, so, so hence the <laughs> H2 hour. Um, uh, name, I guess, kind of felt right for, for both of us. So, uh, and we did poll people. Yes. And so lots of people thought that, that was good. So that's, that's kind of where that came from. That's who we are in a very quick, uh, nutshell. So, um, I was w wondering if we could talk about, um, kind of what we are wanting to accomplish, what type of people we're wanting to talk to, um, what, the show will uh, kind of primarily be about. And it'll all yeah. encompass. Yeah, and um, so our, our idea, I think, you know, uh, shout out to a couple of, of podcasts. We're podcast listeners. I would say we're pretty avid podcast listeners. Um, um, and and, and we book, share, yeah, yeah. And, and all kinds of stuff like Books. that. Books, we're, really we're really into like self-awareness, yeah, self-improvement, self sure. being good professionals, being good leaders, individuals, yeah. leaders. Yeah. We share podcasts. Women in our industry yes. is a huge thing for both of us, I know. Um, yeah, so so think about, uh, I think, you know, Joe, the Joe Rogan experience meets like TED Talks meets... You know, what else would you say? Just fun. Yeah, I mean, just, we're just fun, we're spitfire, like... We got some sass in here. Yeah. You know, but ultimately we love engineering. Yeah. And that's what we're really passionate about. We're yes. passionate about the people, passionate about the industry, and we are also passionate about having a good time. Yeah, and, and learning. <laughs> and learning. learning is a big thing. So we hope everybody learns something from um, what we have to discuss, have some fun, laughs, um and and see where it leads but i think initially we should just probably kind of talk about um the industry as a whole and yeah. kind of where we fit in it maybe as like women and um kind of our take might be a little bit different um you know than others than others may, might think so so i would say that that's probably one of the big things i'm passionate about in engineering is being a woman in engineering um i'm proud of that i think it's 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 more and more common i think these days don't you think it's, yeah 
I would say, like, growing up, I didn't know a lot of female engineers. Yeah. My dad, working in refineries and oil field, yeah. I met a lot of engineers he worked with, and yeah. they were always dudes. Yeah. And so, like, growing up, I didn't have this image of what a female engineer would be. But now, I know so many women in engineering. Yeah. All my let's friends are up. engineers. Let's, how many, let's see what the, let's see what statistically what that might be. So, so Dari's going to look it up real quick on, um, you know, how many, what would be the percentage of women in, in engineering or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what you would put. Um, so, if you're wondering, I just Googled statistics of women in engineering. So, we'll see so where this I, goes. Look, it's undergrad. So, I mean, we could. We could probably say, what is it, less than, for sure, in warden engineering. Less than 30%? Well, I would, well, see down here at the SWE, the, the Society yeah. of Women Engineers, that's degrees. So, I would say 50% and under, for sure. I'd say 25% and under, is, or 30. In oh, our, yeah, 30. And our industry is women. Yeah. Yeah, which is... Which is small. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's really crazy. When you um, think about it, on a large scale of things, especially yeah. in Texas, and how many engineering firms we have in Texas, yeah. and only maybe less than thirty yeah. percent is women. And and I think that's true. I think just from the ones that we know, there's probably what you know three or four women-owned, strictly women or mostly women-owned uh, businesses. Yeah, firms, engineering firms, or at least in the civil sector. I, you know, this is this is more civil environmental. I'm not really talking about. Um, Mechanical, mechanical or computer, or I guess they call it computer engineer or computer science now. But yeah. um, if you're a lady in that well. field, we we shout out to you. Yeah, as well. and we will be we will be reaching <laughs> out to talk to some people in, in different fields because that's important. But um, yeah, so so I think that's a passion of of kind of talking about. I think it's worth talking about the women in engineering, you know, the movers and shakers in our industry and in all things, not just engineers. And we're ta- we deal with so on a daily basis we deal with contractors, attorneys, um, attorneys uh, utility operators, um, planning groups, public works directors, yeah, city, municipality, city yeah, so um, there's lots of people that we're involved with, I think, that, that we can kind of talk to and might add some insight on, on some of the subjects that we're talking about, which is really cool. Um, and I'm really passionate about young people in our industry. Yes. Because that is, that's huge. Um generationally you see one generation comes out and a new generation steps in and it's how do you transition and things are so different well i mean and especially now because the baby and right now the baby boomers are retiring exactly right? and so it's a huge huge you know dent and, and a lot of openings will be available because of that and a lot of lost knowledge lost yeah plenty you know there's a lot of experience lost experience mm-hmm. and how do millennials keep up with that how do we gain that how do we keep that standard too so i think that's something i've always been really passionate about is where the next generation or you know the next incoming management or leadership generation where do we stand how do we carry the torch onward so i think that that's something else you know we're going to talk about on this show as well yeah because you know we're up and comers yeah so movers and shakers as they say um okay so there was an interesting topic that was brought up um this morning and and i i wonder what your thoughts are on it um what do you think okay so say we get a project so typically you know you let's say you you Someone, a city, let's say if you're working for a public entity and a municipality puts out a request for qualifications, RFQ, and you submit a, a statement of qualifications, SOQ, and 
you get the job and it's time to design everything and you make a uh, you have to come up with a sheet set a drawing sheet set okay and um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm no, so so what would you say I mean I, I guess what are your thoughts on industry standards first so do you think a company um, needs to have their own kind of their own or is it good to have kind of the same across the board so that everybody's seeing the same what, what are your thoughts on on how on how you would like to see I mean it do you personalize it this is it's such a cut and dry analytical industry I mean do you put some creative Spin into on it? it yeah how do you what are your thoughts on that I think that that's actually a super interesting topic because I struggle with that you want to follow the rules or like the standard that's out there mm -hmm. so that way everyone knows what you're doing but at the same time you want to you want to make it yours and you know when people see it they know that oh that's so and so or this company that's their drawing set like we know that mm -hmm. that's theirs yeah they use a certain font or they have a color that or, they use yeah. and so I think Title that blocks. stuff like that is good because you want people to like look at something and be like oh I know that OEI or mm -hmm. whoever the the other companies out there mm -hmm. I know that they did that mm -hmm. and you want to be recognizable because that puts you at the forefront of things like if people recognize your work for the better that's mm -hmm. always a good thing yeah, it could be good but it, it, could it just be it could be bad just like you were saying it, that means if you don't put out good work in it you've got your own standard or look spin on it yeah they're gonna it, you know, they know. People, people would know immediately oh great let's so and so's drawings we're not gonna we're gonna have to figure this out ourselves yeah um yeah i think i agree with you on that i think though that like certain things like you know if we're so, for instance, we do a lot of municipality work. So, sanitary sewer lines. They should always have a line that has an SS on it. Yeah. That should be a standard. Yeah. Because when I look at that, I think sanitary sewer. sewer. If mm -hmm. there's a water line, it should have a W on yeah. it. Yeah. Because when line. I look at it, I'm like, that's a water line. Yeah. So, to explain what she means by that is, is in, in CAD, when you're drawing a, a line to signify a, a, let's say, a water line or a sanitary sewer line or, or, or any kind of line like that, there's a line that has a break and it has little letters kind of in the middle of it to signify what type of line that is. And this could be for gas. I mean, yeah, it could be for electrical, anything, electrical, whatever. And so when you go to a sheet set, instead of just having a solid line and doing maybe a call out, like a, like a leader line call out to what it is, actually have the line, have the, the W in it or have the SS in it. Um, I think that's probably a pretty good standard. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I know, like, with certain cities, they yeah. have their standard. Yeah. And so, like, I know if we're doing work for a city, we're going to follow their standard. Yeah. So that way their contractors and their people know when they see the plans that it's their, they know what they're looking at. Yeah. I think it helps. But I think that as an industry, if we had a standard then contractors would have the same thing that they'd look at and it'd be easier for them, but then it's harder oh, for us. Oh, the dreaded bomb, bomb, yeah. bomb, contractors, yeah. Um, shout out to any of the contractors that we have out there. We, we know, do appreciate we, we We know how frustrating <laughs> that can get trying to see drawings, but it's frustrating having to draw some of that stuff too. I mean, so, so it's, you know, I agree with you. I think that there are some standards that you can have, um, but I do think that it's important to... I think there's a generalized layout of all sheet sets. I mean, there's, you know, you start with the cover sheet, you got your details at the back, you know, there's some specifications that are written on there, there's some site plans and stuff like that, the order of which, you know, normally lays out in a certain way. Um, but I think there is some importance to 
kind of having having all the information that you need, but also having uh, your like our title block is going to look this way. Yeah. You know, and that's going to be different through, from all the firms, or our you know our logo is going to be in this area this, or, or or whatever you know more. Or our north arrow is going to be like uh, yeah. this style. Yeah. Yeah. Those little things that you can kind of personalize a yeah. little bit more. You don't have to personalize the whole sheet set, but yeah. like the little things here and there to make it stand out. I think that maybe that's more what we yeah. want to aim towards. But imagine, like, what if, what if someone came in and like completely just blew a sheet like what you're used to seeing out of the water, just completely changed everything, it made it look completely different, drew it completely different. I mean, what what do you think that would do to the industry? I mean, I, don't know. I mean, as as long as I remember, even archives that we go and look at, it's been the same kind of way. style very you know and it's engineering i get it it's very technical and analytical and it's construction plans and but i, I guess i don't know how creative you could probably do with that but still i don't know i think you could get pretty creative because you know you look at architectural drawings yeah. and they get freaking creative yeah. well on that thing. you know that's a good point because they are moving into 3d yeah like more like civil 3d type like i think stuff. there's like that fusion autocad fusion does like the 3d renderings of stuff yeah and so like you know, there's a way you can be kind of artistic about it, but still be technical. We're having chair problems. Yeah, sorry. That's why chair <laughs> is apparently about to break underneath me, so. But I think, I think if I saw something that was super creative, I would be like, I don't even know what to do with it. Like, yeah. what do I do now? Yeah, well, because you're taught a certain way. You're taught to look for this. It's, you're taught to have this on there, so. I just think that's interesting. That would be cool. I think... I guess where I'm coming from from uh, when I ask that is I've been thinking a lot lately that's been on my mind, I guess, is that, you know, what, what can we do differently? And not that it has to be different. There's nothing wrong with the old way, with the way that it is. But what can you do differently? What can you do to to stand out and and and, and advance, advance our industry in um, – in, and something that's so deeply rooted in, in the mundane, in the, yeah, in the history of being very, you know, black and white and all that kind of stuff. It's just so boring sometimes. I don't know. That's actually a really good question. I think that, I don't know. But even outside of, uh, of drawings and stuff, I mean, what can we do as an industry that could really just kind of turn everything upside down like the way we do it i think COVID is pushing us into yes. that honestly i think uh, you're hitting the nail on the head we are getting to a point where our industry is like a 180 we are pushing the boundaries of what we know as is the new normal yeah so to, to so on speaking on that a little bit further that's a good that's a good topic to talk about COVID 19 um hope you guys are saying you know safe and healthy out there we're six uh, feet apart we're six feet apart um <laughs> we've got all of our sanitation stations and all of that in place and we're pretty clean so um luckily we haven't had anyone um get sick here thank goodness knock on wood um so one of the things that we are talking about or potentially talking about i guess on pre-stages i don't know planning, um, stages. planning stages of is is taking taking the company virtual yeah so what does that mean? That means um, working from home, having Zoom meetings, you know, still going out. Um, you know, our big thing is boots on the ground. Our company is boots on the ground. So we're out, you know, we're where the stuff is happening. We're in front of our clients. We are out on the job site. We are, you know, 
in the trenches, as, as they say, things like that, um, taking our information, taking water samples, doing things like that. So um, we're taking the other side of that when we're in the office virtual. Yeah. So everything is on Zoom. Everything is in phone calls. Everything is, um, I mean, essentially, yeah, it's remote. It's completely remote, which there are good things and bad things about that. I'm still not 100% on board, but I would say I'm probably like 80% on board. I think you're more on board than I am. Really? Really? To be honest. That's surprising. I have, but I have control issues. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? I have major control issues. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I think you're a little bit more sold on it because you see so much more potential in it. Yeah. And I think I'm a little bit more nervous. Yeah. I don't know why. Cause trusting. Yeah. I'm not as trusting yeah. in the process just yet. Yeah. But I think, I mean, like what Wendy said, what happens if we all go to remote for all of the, the actual technical stuff of yeah. it, admin stuff of I mean, it. If you think about it, we, I mean, what's the difference of being at home and doing it and being here doing it? It's accountability, and we talk about sure, that all the time. Sure. That's the main difference. Doing it. But if you don't produce what's needing to be produced by a deadline, and I mean, it's very obvious that you didn't do it. Yeah. At this point now, too, especially because be, you're yeah, at home. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we know you didn't do yeah, it. Yeah, we know, we know <laughs> you didn't do it. So, yeah. So I think that could be something that really could turn our industry, uh, you know, upside down. Think about the overhead, the saving and overhead. The Yeah, the cost saving. Because people are expensive. People, well... Buildings are expensive, yeah. you know, utilities on a building, on mm-hmm. an office space, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, people working from home, they're not spending money on gas, there's yeah. no commute time. Yeah, man. Commutes get me down. Do they? Sometimes. I like it. Okay, look, so I lived in Dallas. I lived in Austin. Um, Dallas was, you were on the road a lot. But I will say, if I was into podcasts and, and, and you know, like, audiobooks and all of that kind of stuff at then as I am now wouldn't bother me one bit I mean you're getting in reading you're getting to do all these things you know these growth learning things I love that part I love that part about travel that's true but I guess I what I don't like is like the feeling of being rushed in the morning to mm. make sure you make it on time to the office yeah. because you know you're it's going to be a 15 or 10 minute drive yeah. from home to the office and you're just like Running around trying to get dressed. If yeah. you have kids, get your kids to school. Yeah. If you have eight animals, like oh, I Oh, by do. the way, we don't have children, so. Um, or fur mamas. Yes, yeah, so I can't I can't relate to that, but I can imagine that um, that would be pretty stressful. Yeah, I mean, but like you, you know, even with your dog, with Andy, yeah. and like with Andy Bale, with all my heathens, mm-hmm. you got to let them out. Your football you gotta, team. Yeah, my football team. <laughs> you got to let them out. You got to feed them. Yeah. You got to make sure they go out again. Yeah. You got to make sure everyone's situated. Yeah. Make sure you have all your stuff to go yes. to work. So like, if you wake up, and I'm not saying we've talked about this. Wake up and get ready. Yeah. Wake up with the intent of you're working. Yeah. But you, you don't have you to have do all the other stuff. You have intentions set for the day, which is, is huge. Yeah. I don't know. Digitalizing is going to be interesting. I think. I think it's a discipline thing. I think it's it's account. It's you know like you say accountability, but it's discipline. You have to be disciplined. You still have to get up at the same time. You, know, you still have to semi put on you know somewhat clothing. Um, I, I still think there are check-ins that you could probably do yes. for that, you know, video conferencing with your team or whatever. So, you know, yeah, you might be wearing like, you know, shorts or something like on the bottom <laughs> half, but you could have a, you could have a suit. At the top, the top half, you know, we've all seen that. Yeah, we've been there. Um, <laughs> I, I'd do it. But yeah. the other thing I think that would be huge in the industry that I think I'd really like to see is 
a lot more engineers out of the office. Yeah, that's a good point. I would like to see engineers operating, engineers, you know, doing soil sampling and stuff like that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that we're going to see a several lo- hats. We're going to see a lot more of that because you're not in an office space. You know, you, yeah. you're doing remote work and you can do remote work in the morning at night. And so now you have more availability to go out and, you know, be in the field or go look at things and go do more things. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah, that's a, that's the cool part about what we do, I think, for sure, is it's getting out hands on. I mean, you learn so much more doing hands on, putting your eyes on it, being out in the field. It, put, it brings everything together for what you're doing. And there are many engineers that don't do that. I mean, they've never even gone out in the field. Yeah. For the first five years, and it's like, well, that's crazy, you know. So, as as if you if you are in the engineering field, some of the things that happens when you go to school is you you go to school, you graduate, you have to take what's called the FE or the Fundamentals of Engineering exam, which is very the academic portion to make sure that you've actually learned everything that you did in school. So you have to take that, pass that. Um, now you can actually move on and you can take your PE immediately after that, which is your professional uh, engineering exam, and um, and that you can take that immediately, but you will not get a license until you have four years under a, a registered PE um, that shows progressive work. So, um, so Darby's an EIT, I'm an EIT. Um, hopefully, taking the test in a couple of months, we'll see and get this mm-hmm. over uh, with. I'm not a good test taker, both of us are not good test takers. Yeah. Um, so, but part of life, part of what we have to do. Um, so anyway, the point of that is, is the first four years of experience where you're learning all of these things, you know, before you get an actual licensed seal to do it. I mean, half the time people haven't even gone out and seen some of these projects that they're doing in that time that they're supposed to be learning. And that's just crazy to me. It blows my mind. I mean, I remember I've, I've learned a lot in school about like what pumps look like in a drawing and stuff. But I remember the first time you took me to a pump warehouse and I was like, oh, my God, this is what it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> this is what it really looks like in person. I'm like, I didn't know. And you don't know until you go out. Mm-hmm. And some of us are fortunate enough that we get that experience. But most of us don't you get you're doing one job and you're kind of stuck doing that job or doing a couple of jobs within the office like the technical work the calculation type stuff Mm -hmm. because that's what you just finished learning yeah and you don't get that experience there's no connection but i think we're gonna see that change yeah i do i think we have to i mean i think it's going to a point now where you know it's you know like you said you're having to wear multiple hats and and um lower costs so you've got your engineers going out and doing something that you would traditionally outsource or you would subcontract to somebody because it saves you money yeah so um yeah it is interesting um i would like to i would love to do that i love being out and and doing some of that stuff seeing people seeing the job really um you know come to life life. yeah that's the best part of it that's um, the funnest so part. That's, that's why I like wells so much. New wells. That's one of my favorite. You love it. I can't wait. You love it. I'm doing my, I'm hopefully going to be doing my first well project this Yay. this year or this next upcoming year. Yeah. So I'm really excited. That's I'm, cool. I'm, when I tell you guys I'm a wastewater person, like I like to look at footage of sewer lines. Like, yeah. That's cool for me. That's yeah. fun for me. Yeah. I don't think anyone else no. looks at that. And is no, like, nobody Ooh. else does. I'll, I will be the first to answer that. No one else likes that. Um. I'm just kidding. I'm but sure there's somebody. I get. There. I mean, I get as excited about that stuff as you get about well stuff. Yeah, because it's it's cool. That's cool. It's, it's what you know too. It's it's 
Yeah. Well, I think what's cool about wells is the drilling. I mean, it's very physical. Well, and it brings and, a lot of as- different aspects. It's geological. Yeah, it's... you're literally seeing what's in the earth. I mean, that's nuts. So, bringing water out of the earth. I want to, so, like, I know that there was naturally occurring wells. Like, we have naturally occurring, like, wells and stuff. Yeah, but I want to know, like, who was like, I'm just going to dig a hole in the ground <laughs> as deep as possible and just see what happens. Yeah, the I'm first curious. person. Um, you know, and that's what's even, that's, it's funny that you say that. Because what about those water witchers? With right. The, with the dolls that go out there that, like, witch wells. We so, need we need an email so people can send stuff into. Because yeah. I want to know what are people's different water witching methods. Yeah. Because I have seen some crazy really? witching methods. Really? And okay, so for those of you who don't know what that means, so so water witching or water um, surveying is is basically someone that can go if, you know, I'm, I'm going to very generalize this and, and probably hopefully not <laughs> offend anyone, but basically... There's people that can go out and they've got these dowel rods, which are just kind of L-shaped rods. And, and the smaller part of the L rod they hold in their hand and the rest of it points out horizontally to the earth or, or uh, parallel to the earth. And so they kind of hold it loose in their hands and in a fist-like position right in front of them. And they, and they walk where you're trying to find wells. And what happens is these people have this... It's, some type of energy some type of connection not everybody can do it they say um that have this special ability that sends this energy through these this person and through these rods and when you find a good well or a good spot for for where water might be in the earth these rods then cross each other and it's like okay there's good water here and that's the premise behind it. It sounds Supposedly. crazy. Yeah, it sounds crazy when you say it out loud. But I've seen it done. I've seen it done. I've seen it done in person. I've seen this guy. I mean, these are usually old timers that did, that kind of came up with it. You know, the old wives' tales and all that kind of stuff. But we've, it's old school. We've done it. We've done both. So we've done the technical, kind of innovative side where we've done electrical soundings to find the water, uh, and we've had water witchers out there that have found it. And and I can say that both. Um, were semi-accurate, but um, in, in my experience, but I don't know about yours if it was... I think, I want to say it was with, oh, it was out in, in Central Texas. Really? That's where my first witching experience, huh. water witching experience was. I can't remember if it was, I can't remember which client it was, or if it was even a client, if it was maybe an operator who did hmm. it. But I remember it crossed, and there was a leak. We were oh, looking for looking a water for a leak. leak. I'm and not, I want to say I'm, you were there or something. But really? I want to say you were there. Oh, I don't remember that. I want to say, or you were like in the, we were there together in Central uh, Texas. You might not have been like there when uh, it happened. Yeah. But they were doing water witching to find yeah. a leak. Wow. I'm not going to think of it. I'll think of who it was. Yeah. But it's also, I, I Googled while Wendy was explaining to you guys, it's called water dowsing. Am I saying that right? Dow- dowsing. Dowsing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what they call them. That that's the dowels are those things that they hold. Yeah. So that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That's that's a, something that we should talk about sometime. Should definitely a little bit later. ask somebody about yeah, that. Yeah, we should have somebody on talk about that for sure. But I'm so interested to see what other what everyone's methods yeah. are for it. Yeah. Because I. Everyone has it. Oh, some people if do the, it. With... If, if the clouds are in the sky, to you know, it, the there it. 
2.05 p.m. on on the summer solstice or you know you could get crazy with some of that stuff. yeah some people are like at this time like when the moon's aligned in yeah, this way and yeah. I'm just like what well, the, you know the biggest thing that we've found in doing a lot of water well development is talking to farmers you know the farmer's almanac is a real thing uh, and we've witnessed some of those things but these farmers especially especially the old timers you know like the 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 bib overalls and the you know been around for a while and and you know hands don't even open anymore there's so more so much arthritis there but these guys know where the water is they know their stuff they know what's happening they know when rains come i mean all of the stuff is crazy okay. so listen to those people if if i could if i could give any advice when you're out doing something like that looking for good water to get to develop a well is one obviously do your research yeah uh, learn what the aquifers are and thicknesses and there's plenty of resources for that but two is talk to the people around that area look at other wells that are around that area start to delineate you know kind of what's going on what what's the bigger picture the is. bigger picture is uh, around that area so but yeah i would use all those techniques and then put it all together and find the water just if i'll tell you this if you can find good water um in many years to come you're going to be the person that's going to have a uh, work because yeah. it is few and far between these days especially in west texas um but i like to attribute it and we've talked about this before um you've got a big old a big old, you know, super gulp or Route 44, uh, you know, cup of water, and you've got 10,000 straws in it, or you've got five straws in it. Well, if you've got 10,000 straws in it, it's going to go a lot quicker than five straws. So we're moving towards the 10,000 straws as more people develop wells, which means there's less and less water. Um, so if you know how to do that, kudos to you, because it's going to be a long, prolific. Uh, yeah, you're, you will make some money. You'll make some money. So I think we should talk about that sometime too, is, is, is where does the water come from? The ground, you know, lots of places are surface water. So, um, big lakes and, um, rivers and tributaries and things like that, that, um, they're sucking water out of cleaning it up and sending it to you to use. Yeah. I mean, reuse, reuse, uh, reuse is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, big. it's, yeah big deal big deal it's it does cost a lot usually to do re reuse and there's lots of permitting requirements for that but it's gonna become one of those things that we're gonna have to start thinking about that uh it is a reality it's like it, it's crazy and people's view on water is crazy you know i i didn't like a public outreach report for a reuse project that we mm -hmm. were you know getting approved for preliminary design and the people's biggest thing was like it's it's wastewater but you want us to use it for potable drinking water purposes we were suggesting it for irrigation we Johnny's were suggesting... gonna be drinking prozac yeah and yeah. people were like freaking out about it yeah. and i'm like okay first of all it's for common green spaces so it's just it's just water in the grass yeah it's water in the lawn but we actually waste reuse water is treated to an extent that it's almost better quality water than your typical drinking water yeah and it's crazy yeah um, one of my it's that thought though. It's a, it's it's a mental thought of where it was, what it did, and then cleaning it. It's like that's not really clean. Yeah, and I I think that that I think you're exactly right. Yeah. People are like, mm, it's clean, but like how clean is it? Yeah, but see what's weird is you look at these people who are, you know, outdoors people and you know survivalist and things like that. I mean, think about some of the water they're drinking out there. 
or boil. I mean, all they're doing is boiling it. Yeah, you're not even. I mean, it's just, if it's if it comes down to what I'm, my point is, if it comes down to a survival situation and there's none, you're gonna start drinking that reused water. Yeah. You know, you're not gonna have problems. Yeah, there's not there's not gonna be a problem with it once you become thirsty. So, um, not that I'm like a you know think that survival. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that the world's ending and we're not gonna have any water left, but you know there is gonna be a shortage one day. It is like you say, non renewable. Yep, it's inevitable. Um, yeah. So. so H2 hour. H2 hour. Um, okay. Well, thanks for uh, listening, and we will be back shortly. H2 hour is both produced and hosted by Wendy Reese and Darby Adams.